When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a 1% podcast with me, Cooper Chapman. Less than 1% of your day, once a week. A place to spark curiosity around topics you think you already know. And also bring light to the good humans involved in the 1% Good Club, well-being accountability groups dedicating 1% of their day to their mental health. A massive hello to every single good human out there tuning in today. I'm so grateful that you're here because today is an episode that you do not want to miss. If it's your first time here today, thanks for tuning in. This is a podcast where I chat to incredible humans about their journey, what they've learned, and let you learn from their stories as well. It's really nice getting to know people's journeys up to where they've become successful, so we get to know the why behind it. If it's your first time here tuning in, make sure you go back and check out our catalogue. There's been 58 other incredible guests so far with some stories that you will not believe, so please go back, check out the catalogue. We also have a Wednesday episode, the 1% podcast, where just for 14 minutes I chat about the incredible people in the 1% Good Club, which are Instagram accountability groups I have with the Good Human Factory, where we share a meditation every morning and gratitude every night, so check that one out. And I'm also doing a year sober, and I chat about that every Monday for a short episode, so check those episodes out. And yeah, if you are enjoying the podcast, make sure you hit subscribe, follow, hit that five star button. And if you're really enjoying it, take a screenshot, tag us on Instagram and let us know the episodes you're loving. And I think today's episode is going to be one that you love. So today we have Hugh Van Kylenberg on. It's an episode that I've dreamed of having since the very beginning of Good Humans podcast. Hugh Van Kylenberg owns a thing called The Resilience Project, which is pretty much my most admired business in Australia maybe he's built exactly what I'm trying to do with the good human factor and I'm really trying to follow in his footsteps Hugh has written two books the resilience project and let go which have been bestsellers and very very incredible storytelling books so make sure you go check them out Hugh's the resilience project runs programs at schools over 450,000 students are doing his program every single day which is just unbelievable he's built such an incredible platform and a really special way to communicate mental health in a friendly and approachable manner he also hosts a podcast called the imperfects which is pretty much my favorite podcast to listen to he gets so vulnerable and has yeah just a great platform to share really cool stories you're going to hear all about Hugh's story. We could have spoken for hours and yeah, I'm sure this isn't the first time you'll hear me and Hugh together. Um, yeah, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. So let's jump straight into the chat. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Hugh Van Kylenberg. How you going, mate? I'm oh, good. Uh, thanks, thanks so much for having me on. I, I've listened to your podcast. I really like it. I love what you're about. So this is, um, yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, this is um, this has probably been on the very top of my list to have you on. You're somebody who I admire what you do and see myself kind of following in your footsteps in a little way but I'm going to start with a story because you're going to find this interesting and it relates to the idea of how we create a situation in our head of what somebody thinks of us before we even meet them yeah so this this is how it relates to me and you so my story with the good human factory started I had like some family health 
mental health issues. I lost an uncle when I was quite young to suicide. My dad did suffer quite a bit through my teenage years with depression. So I was always very curious of mental health and taking care of my own mental health. Then my younger sister lost two friends to suicide in her last year of high school, which prompted me to start the Good Human Factory. So then I developed my workshop and kind of just went back through my life, all the learnings that I'd had from books and podcasts and blah, 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 and developed my workshop and went on to talk about the five values that work for me. So my five values that I talk about in my workshop were responsibility, gratitude, empathy, mindfulness, and kindness. And I'd fully organized my workshop. I then got put in a group chat with a mental health um, bunch of people and you were in it and I was in it. And that was the first time that I'd kind of seen you and someone was like, you've got to read this Resilience Project book. So I got your book and read it and obviously gratitude, empathy, yeah. mindfulness yeah. is your thing. And I was just like, so I've kind of thought for the last, until we connected on socials a couple of months ago, that you were going to like be pissed off that I copied you. Oh. So <laughs> so, I'm like, so that was like how I was like, I've built up over like the first year, like this Hugh Van guy's going to be pissed that I'm like copying what no, he's doing. No, so I guess it. what's your, what's, what has been your yeah. learning of who I am well, from your point of view? Yeah. Well, just so you know, I, um, I've had a few people who are doing, I have had a couple of people say like I have actually, they say I hope you don't mind I have actually copied the gratitude, empathy, whatever it is. I don't mind. Like, yeah, I didn't invent the three things. They're not. They're not my words. I didn't invent the words. I didn't invent the concepts. I think the more people doing it, the better. Mm. Like, I honestly feel like the more people talking about this because it works. Exactly. And it helps people. So I don't mind, especially <laughs> if it's someone as cool as yourself doing it. It oh. makes me look cooler that someone yeah. someone like you doing it but that was just like the funny thing like getting to sit in a room with you now and like laugh about it is funny but i think people listening might get something from that where we build up this anxiety about what we think someone's going to think of us before we've even met them or even know what they think of us yeah we create stories like we create stories and often because of like our inner critic or we're so negative like the way we speak to ourselves internally you know we wouldn't let anyone speak to us like that mm. well we might let them do it but we would hate them if they spoke about yeah. us like that but our story about events is it's um it's so often I don't know if we're just so negative like your brain the first thing you thought was oh he's going to hate me for this but I love it like I, as soon as I saw I can't remember when we connected but I remember looking at it going oh amazing like having someone like that talk about those important things it's just so good yeah it's it's cool to hear you say that but I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit too I did a workshop a few weeks back in Port Macquarie and Mark Matthews spoke after me. And in my workshop, when I talk about gratitude, I usually, so in the workshop, I talk about gratitude and have my gratitude cards that people fill out. And it was a pretty big room. So I was like, you know what, today I'm not going to do the cards. I'm going to get everyone to pull out of their pocket, their phone and send a gratitude message to someone. So I do that. And I hadn't seen Mark's presentation before. I'd heard it's amazing, but I didn't know it was in it. His whole big tagline at the very end is like, all right, everyone, pull your phone out and do a gratitude message to someone. And I'd literally done that 20 minutes before in my presentation. And I was like, oh, no, he's going to be off it. But he, like, handled it very well. And he's like, this is just showing how powerful gratitude is. And yeah. People like myself, people like you, people like Mark are all talking about it. And it was like, because I'd almost learned that you weren't off me that I was doing it, he was so open. He's like, man, this is just like, it just proves it more, not the negative side that our head spins like, oh, he's going to be off me about it. Yeah. The reason I know you'll do really well is because you're not competitive. Like some people mm. in this industry are a little bit, um, they get a bit funny about it's like a competition. Yes, for business you need to, you know, survive. You need to do well against the competition, I guess. But helping people is not a competition. Exactly. You know? So like the more people doing this, the better. Yeah. And anyone who has that mindset in this industry is probably, you know, for the wrong reasons anyway. And that's what I'm learning. There is some 
organizations where you hear like stories of charities and like the lack of transparency and I'm just like it's nice to kind of just go in it like we talked about this before and do it as a business and just be like you know what I'm just trying to help people and if I become successful from it awesome yeah I think some is an understatement there's a lot of businesses out there who are very competitive in this space Mm. and every time I as long as I don't meet your heroes, I've, I've met a couple of organisations, big ones, where you're like, oh, it's going to be great. And then you meet them and they're so competitive. And you're like, oh, God, this is just so disappointing. Yeah. Um, but then you meet the good ones who aren't competitive and it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. But today's about getting to know your story. I do know your story quite well because I've read both your books. I've consumed a lot of your incredible content from your podcast, The Imperfects, and the Resumes Project. So I'm going to maybe ask a few different questions than you normally get today. But first, I'd like to introduce you to the listeners and get to know kind of your story from the beginning. So yeah. where did you grow up? What was your upbringing like? And yeah, what was family life like for Hugh kind of up until high school? Well, before I answer that question, just first of all, we were discussing this off air, but you are sitting in the chair that I wrote the second book in because of lockdown. I couldn't, I was just, I was trying to write it at home. I had this image in my head of... Um, What's the movie? Uh, Love Actually, where Colin Firth's character writes, he writes a novel away and he goes to like a lake somewhere in Europe and he writes it. I had this image in my head of my second book would be written at the beach and I was going to surf every single morning and then go back to the beach house and just write all day. But then lockdown happened in Melbourne for like we had 265 days of lockdown in my contract for the second book. I had to get it out by, I think it was November last year. And I realised that like lockdown was going to be here for a long time, so I would drive into this studio here. I sat in that very chair, and um, it was like it was Melbourne, cold and dark and wet, and just wrote the book, the whole thing, just where you're sitting now. So, I, so, I mean, thank you for letting me come and sit in that chair, yeah, and sit in this chair. <laughs> Maybe something great will happen right now. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so sorry. So my my upbringing. So I grew up here in Melbourne. And I have incredibly happy memories of childhood, like extremely happy memories of childhood. I was, uh, I mean, I, I was so blessed. Mum and dad um, gave us everything. My dad is a Sri Lankan um, immigrant who came to Australia when he was 10 or 12. And because of his parents came to Australia to escape, I think the complications with the civil war and everything over in Sri Lanka. And it was so... I mean, they, they, they essentially came to Australia to give him all the opportunities that they weren't, didn't sort of get. So he worked incredibly hard, um, probably too hard. I heard stories that he used to study from my grandma told me stories. He used to study. He'd get home from school at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and study from 4 till 10 o'clock every single night and she'd bring him his dinner in his room and he'd stop for 10 minutes to call my mum. This is when he was in year 12. He'd call mum because I'd already met for 10 minutes and he, he would stick to that and then he'd go back and study for like wow. so ridiculous Um and he became a dentist, and so through that we were given great, great opportunities. You know, schools and everything. Really happy childhood, and then that all changed when I was. Um, I would have been sixteen. My sister was fourteen. She's diagnosed with mental illness. So there's myself, my little sister who's three years younger than me, and my little brother's three years younger than her. So six years between me and Josh, and she develops this eating disorder. And so this is this is very much of what you do. But it was in the nineties. And my mum and dad said to me, your sister's got a mental illness. And I went, right, what's that? And I had no idea. Mm. And they said, oh, it's, it's, um, they said it's where, yeah, her, her, her brain's just, it's a just, there's something, they said it's not like a physical illness where, you know, some of the sneezing and coughing. It's like a, something with her brain's making her think a little bit differently than she probably should be. And for my sister, it was an eating disorder. They said they, they said she hates the way that she looks and she stops eating. They said when she eats again, we'll know then she's better. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, well, that can't be that serious. 
because I know I've heard of people with cancer and there's no cure. If eating food is the cure, mm. this is not very serious. And it went on and on and on. And it was devastating. Like it was, it was, um, when she was 18 years old, she was admitted to hospital for the first time. And I remember I have this very strong memory of getting back home from the hospital on night of my sister's. And, and, and that's when I really realized how serious it was. It took me four years to actually take it seriously. I think I was annoyed at her for a lot of the time because mum mm. and dad were so upset. And night one, we got home from the hospital. And I remember we were halfway through dinner and dad sort of left my sister in the hospital, obviously, because she was there for like a month, I think it was in the end. And dad got up really early from dinner. He wasn't really finished. And he and he went over to the sink and he was like doing the washing up. And I was like, this is a bit weird. And I asked him a question. He didn't answer. I asked him again. He didn't answer. So I turned around because I wasn't looking at him. And, I was, and, and I'll never forget. There's just this, I'll never forget the figure of my dad like hunched over the kitchen sink crying. And I'd, I was, how old was I then? I would have been, I was 20 at that point. And that was the second time in my life I'd ever seen dad cry. Like, I think he cried when I was about nine or 10 when we went to put our dog down. And then it was, that was the second mm. time. And that's when I really realized how serious it was. I mean, I think I knew before that, but that's when it really was rammed home to me. But that's also the point. Um, and you shared your stories before about the people in your life. I'm sorry to hear about those really, really, mm. really sad stories around mental illness. But I remember I was 20 and I was thinking, Gosh, I, I became really fascinated with the question, what is it that makes people happy? Mm. I knew I couldn't fix my sister. Like there was no chance I could do that. But I did want to make mum and dad happy again. And I did want my little brother to be happy because he was only, I mean, he'd have been 14 when this was, when she was in hospital, mm. 15. It was a very vulnerable age to, I mean, 20 is also a vulnerable age to have your sister like that, but particularly vulnerable still at school. Um, and I remember thinking I want to make my brother happy, mum and dad happy again. I don't know how, but I became really fascinated at that, that age. Mm. And I didn't then think, I think I might start a thing called the Resilience Project and teach people. I had no idea. I just I actually decided to go into teaching because I thought if I'm a teacher, then I can then I can stop kids getting a mental illness. Mm. <laughs> that's what I thought, which is yes. ridiculous. Uh, but that's kind of what I thought. And I, I went into teaching and I actually went and taught at a girls' school straight away because I remember thinking there'll be lots of girls there who might get an eating disorder, I will stop them. That, that's what I'll do. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'll stop them. I remember sitting there. I have a very clear memory of sitting there on the first week at the school. I had a class full of 10 or 11-year-old girls and I was thinking, oh, actually, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to stop this, but I think I'll – yeah, I just I, – and it, but that, that was when I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, I don't know how to teach, but I don't know how mm. to teach mental health stuff. And, and then – um, I kind of, I didn't forget about it, but it was in the back of my mind the whole time. And it wasn't until I was 28 that my partner at the time, um, we'd been together, we met at uni, um, her name's Anjali. And I remember she said to me, we were living together and she said, we should go and travel. And I didn't want to, I was very happy in Melbourne teaching and I was playing a lot of cricket and just very happy in Melbourne. And, um, but she kind of was, she was really keen. So we did that and we went to India because her dad's Indian. Um, and we're in India and she said we should volunteer and I said why don't we just go and teach somewhere and get paid to do that uh, but she's such an amazing person she said no we're volunteering and I owe everything really to her because if it wasn't for her I wouldn't have had the experience that I had which really changed my life and mm. a lot of people's lives but I just ended up in a village in India I ended up um, in this it was a desert village uh, sorry I start that again <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a desert village in the far north of India very close to the border of Pakistan and China and um, it was full on like there was no running water there was no electricity there are no beds everyone sleeps on the floor 
And I remember saying to the principal, I don't think we'll be here for two weeks. It might just be a couple of nights if that's okay. We might need to get back to Mumbai just because I thought I can't handle this. But then on my first day in the school as a teacher, I just saw this kid who I remember after about 20 minutes with him just thinking to myself, I have never seen joy like this before. I've never, ever seen joy like this. This is the happiest kid I've ever remember. And I remember thinking, how is this possible? I remember looking across the desert out the window. Of, well, they don't have windows at the school. They've got holes in the wall just to let the light in. It's like a little mud brick mm. building in the middle of the desert. There's there's a, one chair in each room and that's for the teacher. Everyone else sits on the floor the whole day. There's no resources. There's no – the kids have one exercise book and a pencil. That's it for the whole year for every subject. And so they're writing like sideways down the margin just to, to cram as much as they can on each page because when they run out of their book, they don't have another one. Um and their, their clothes are covered in dirt and dust because they well, like they live in the desert. Mm. But I remember looking at this kid thinking, how is this possible? How is he so unbelievably happy when there's just nothing? I was looking around going, there's nothing of value here, nothing that we consider valuable anyway. And then uh, ended up staying for a very long story short. I was like, I can't leave here. I'm going to live here for a bit. So we lived there for three and a half. It was about three and a half months. And the whole time I was thinking about my sister because I was just thinking – how on earth is this possible? We grew up in a really nice suburb in Melbourne, loving family, nice home, went to really good schools. I mean, we had everything we ever needed growing up in life, yet my sister ended up with a mental illness. These people here, well, this kid here specifically, mm. he sleeps on the floor. There's no running water, no electricity. I've never seen joy like it. And so um, I kind of, it sounds creepy, but I just followed this kid everywhere. Like I followed him everywhere for like three and a half months. And I just wanted to know what he was doing, and I, I, um, and this ties back to your stuff, which is amazing how we, how we sort of have had very different stories, but we've sort of come to the same conclusions. Mm. But what I found was these kids, well, this community, they stop their day every single day, and they practice gratitude, they practice empathy, and they practice mindfulness. And I remember um, I joined in. It's stuff that I, if someone had introduced it to me. Back in Australia, I probably would have gone, I'm not, going to do med- I'm not going to meditate every day. That's just weird. But I joined in with these people and it had a profound impact on me. But I was still a bit skeptical. Like I was still. Was it like a dedicated practice? Like they knew, all right, we're going to make sure we do gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness every day? Or was it just their kind yeah, of. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was like. Were they doing it on purpose because they yeah, knew the benefits from it? Five o'clock in the morning, the whole village wakes up and there are these bells that ring around the village. And you can hear there are monks, monks living up in the. Um, in a monastery nearby, you could hear them chanting, and everyone would sit up with their, like a uh, like an incense like candle thing, and they would meditate for like I think it was like forty five minutes from like I'll be honest, I never once joined in at five in the morning. I just wanted to sleep. Oh, yeah. I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but then they got to school, and from eight thirty to nine o'clock every single morning, the kids sat in these rows. I'll show you some photos later. They're beautiful shots yeah, if you want wow. to share them. But and they would sit there like this, and it was I thought they, I thought it was a religious school. They're saying their prayers. It was, um, it was a meditation. I learned how it was a meditation. It was like this chant. But in the chant was like gratitude stuff uh-huh. around how lucky they were to have water. Now, they had water. It was in a river. It was half an hour walk away. But that's, that, that's what they were saying, mm-hmm. how lucky we were to have this. We're so lucky to have clean air. I'm so grateful for all the stuff that they were, you know, I've got a roof over. Now, when I say roof over there, like for some of them, it was just like tarpaulin sheets or whatever. But they're saying we're so grateful for this. And they spent half an hour. And it was optional. The kids didn't have to be there. Every single child turned up. No one missed it. Wow. That's because they got, they just, they just knew how good it was for them. Mm-hmm. Like, well, as in no one had lectured them and said, here are the six benefits of meditation. Yeah. Clearer thinking, you know, you're, you're more greater equanimity, whatever. It's not, not that. It was just they experienced it every day, so they knew. Mm. Um, 
and I've never in my life met a kinder community. Like as in the walk to school, it, if I was to walk uninterrupted at a normal pace, it would probably take 10 minutes. Every morning it took half an hour because everyone you walk past, you stop and you speak to. And it's really rude if you just walk past and go, hi. Well, they, they say, the way they say hello is they say, Jule. And you put one hand like this and you bow and you go, Jule. But the more times you say it, the more polite it is. So you'd stop and go, Jule, 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 Jule. You keep doing it, keep doing it and nodding at them. And then they spoke very little English. I spoke very little Hindi and, and Ladakhi, their language. But you would stand there for five minutes and sometimes you wouldn't talk. You'd just sort of like, just sort of smile and just like look around with them. But it was... It was a real, it was a proper connection. Like mm. in Australia, we're so busy. I've got, sorry, Matt, I can't chat. I've got to get to this meeting or, yep, yeah, I've got a 12 o'clock, so I've got to go now, whatever. It's, it's um, when you're with another human being, you're with them. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you don't have anything to say, you just stay, you stand there with them. There's another thing that they love um, holding hands in this community. Like men as well walk yeah. around holding hands. Like it is very much, you'll see it in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, men hold hands a lot. And at first I was like, well, that's, you don't say that much. Yeah. And, but everyone does. And so sometimes they just reach out and hold your hand and you're standing there just holding hands with someone. It's like some guy who like be, I don't know, he might be like my age, would be standing there just like holding hands, just like going, oh, <laughs> what's happening today? But they were just so unbelievably kind. So the kindness thing wasn't a structured practice. It was just part of the way they live their lives. The gratitude was part of these gratitude chants they would do every day. And they would, it was a Buddhist community. So a big part of being Buddhist is, is for thanking, mm-hmm. is, is like being really grateful. Gratitude is a huge component of that. Yeah. And then the mindfulness stuff, it was, and they would do it in the afternoon, they'd do it in the evening. So they'd probably do about four, all up there probably doing, I don't know, three or four hours of meditation every day. Wow. And then the Buddhist monks who were in the monastery, which was 10 minutes away. I'll, I'll see if I can, I'll send you a photo of it later. It's it's phenomenal, this, this, um, this monastery. But they would do, I think, like eight or 10 hours of, meditation every day so it's just it was incredible so yeah it was a deliberate practice every single day wow um and so you know i, I read i read about i came back to australia and i read about these things so i was like is there science i don't know why i was so i don't know why i was so hell-bent on knowing if there's evidence or science to support it but i just felt like i was just curious i think looking back i should have just gone it works for these people like and it's great mm. it worked for me but i was but i'd read about these new studies saying gratitude actually works and I'd see it was a study from you know 2008 or 2005 and I'd go, oh, cool. But people have been talking about this for forever. Like Marcus Aurelius, a Stoic philosopher in you know thousands of years ago, like he's got incredible quotes about gratitude. Mm. You know, it's a huge part of his, you know, Stoicism. Is, is a, so it's not a new thing. And that's why sometimes people will come back to your, your first story about like people going, oh, do you mind that I'm talking about this? Like... I don't think Marcus Aurelius would care if he knew I was doing it. You know, like it, it's so it, no one owns it. It's just a lovely thing that we need to share. We we got to share this stuff. And when someone like you shares it, it's unbelievable. Like a pro surfer, it's it's so powerful. Mm. But isn't do you feel like for one, you got ripped off in your education that you had to go to India to learn it, and for two, as an educator, that you yeah. weren't already taught to teach this to kids? Because at the end of the day, like, and I'm sure you feel very similar there's a lot that the school system is missing, especially going into a lot of schools and seeing the impact that yeah, our, like, you know, man, a limited one hour of words that we talk to kids about the impact it can have that there isn't 
and I know they are trying to structure it more into school curriculums. Like, and I know your program's massive in a lot of schools, which is so great, but it's like, did you feel like you got ripped off that you didn't get that <laughs> well, and you needed to share that message because you learned it in your way? It's, it's a really good question. I don't think I feel ripped off because I was in the, in the, I went to school yeah. in the, so my schooling was 86 to 98. They're my, they're my school years. Yeah. And because no one ever talked about mental health, people were struggling, but no one would ever speak about it. So no one really knew it was an issue, I don't think, yeah, really. And certainly not at a level where we need to be teaching this stuff at schools. Yeah. I think now that there's no excuse now. Mm. There's no excuse now. I, we, we're at a stage now where we're choosing schools for my kids and I just want to know, you know, I don't really care about literacy and numeracy. I, I couldn't give a shit, to be honest. Yeah. Like he'll work that stuff out. My daughter will work that stuff. All, they'll work it out and... But I want to know that they're supporting their, yeah, their mental health. Their like I want to know that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that's what you know. I look back on school for me. It was it was the same as you. It was, it was like literacy, numeracy, then it was geography. And some of the stuff and I science learned. Science and like. I mean, even at, at at uni when I was learning to be a teacher, I had a whole year on tessellations. Tessellations is when it's a part. It's a small. It's like a chapter of a math book. But we did a whole year on it. it was like how shapes can work together and fit together and keep tessellating. And I was like. And how Even, much did you, know, you do at uni to, to learn about how to positively influence kids' mental health? Nothing. Probably nothing. We, we exactly. did nothing. It was a four-year course and that was, 2000 and, it was 2002 to 2006. And again, I, I don't feel ripped off because I, I don't think people were talking about it again. Mm. I mean, I wasn't telling them about my sister's anorexia. Exactly. We, we, we weren't talking about it at all. People knew because they mm. saw it and they could see her. People weren't as open as sharing it back then. But No. but Once all the statistics have started coming out, people like, We've got a bit of a problem here. Yeah, We've and got because a big it's problem here. Yeah, totally, and because it's getting so much worse, there is no excuse now. Yeah, there is no, the, 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 uh, any school that's not addressing, and schools will say, yes, we we do pastoral care, but if they're not, there's no program in there. Mm. There's no excuse if if your child is currently not getting education in mental health and having someone like yourself come into the school, then yeah, they're getting ripped off now. Yeah, absolutely. So coming back from India, when did you decide, because this is where the chat's going to go, the angle that I'm just going to pick your brain right now, because yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm in the second year of where you're at, like year 10 or 11, where you're at yeah. with the Resilience Project. What was that stage where you went, you know what, I want to build a business and start educating around this? Yeah. And this is, a, I think it's a really important, I, I never get to talk about this and I've always wanted to, because I think it's a really important conversation for anyone. It might not be in mental health, it might not be in wellbeing, any. Anyone who's thinking, I, I think I've, I've got a passion. I'd like to do my own thing. I don't want to, I, I, for me, I have this passion. I want to go and create something. I want to build something and do my own thing. There is so much I think you can take away from my story because first of all, I have no idea about business, no business background. My understanding, I would say I'm completely, if it's a thing, completely business illiterate. Like when I, me too. <laughs> yeah, okay. When I started it, someone said you need to have a, um, what's that thing? You, I just can't remember what it's called. A diary. A, di- <laughs> <laughs> a calendar. <laughs> I, I thought, well, there you go. I wasn't good with my calendar, but oh, what, what's that calendar. number you have to get? The business number you have to oh, get? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> See, I, don't, I can't remember what it's called. I didn't even, uh, when, I, when I was invoicing people, they'd go, What's your ABN? Um, yeah, what's your ABN? Yeah. I was like, What do you mean? They said, What's your ABN? And I went, What is that? I'm like, uh, They said, Aren't you running your own business? And I'd go, No, I'm not running a business. I'm doing talks. And I went, that's, so you're doing your own business? I'd go, no, no, I'm not doing business. This, I just go to schools and do talks. Yeah, yeah, I'd and like, send you an invoice. Yeah, but what's your ABN? Yeah, I was like, can I just give my bank account details? Just, <laughs> yeah, can, can we just do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just pay me cash when I turn yeah, up. Yeah, briefcase, that's, please. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't even know that. So, And now I, I sit here now with, we've got a team of, there's 27 of us. Mm. Um, we have um, 450,000 kids around Australia doing our curriculum every single day. Uh, we have... Um, 
I think it's I think next year we've got I think it's 650 schools who are doing like a, a three-year partnership with us plus 300 kinders and wow. it's like and I'm so proud of it where it's at now but it came from a point where I literally didn't know what an ABN was and I didn't know how to do an invoice and I didn't know what an invoice meant and I said and someone uh I, I tried to write it off a piece of paper and they're like no what are you doing this is, I tried to do it on the spot someone said give me invoices and I went oh no it's you have a piece of paper <laughs> and <laughs> I, so that's a, yeah pretty much so I had no idea uh, so I think it's a it's a nice it's a nice story for someone to go, yeah, I would love to do my own thing, but I don't understand the first thing about business. Neither did I. Mm-hmm. And and so what was the question? Where, the question was how did like the resilience <laughs> project get started? Because yeah. it's like I feel like I'm in that stage and I feel so similar with that. Like I was a pro surfer, I'm like, I just want to go and help people. Yeah. And if I started, you know, I mean, the business might come from it, but it started with yeah, like you. I just want to come in and talk to kids and help them at schools. Yeah. Yep. So Okay, so how did it start? Because I, I, barrier to entry to get, get into schools is hard. Did you think like, yeah, everyone's going to book me now. Look, I've got such a great thing. And then it's like, yeah. oh, I can't get into schools because I felt the same. Like, I was like, oh, everyone's going to book me. I'm a pro surfer. I'll tell them like I'm doing mental health. Yeah, they'll book me. But it's not like that. It no. takes a lot of credibility and relationships to foster. Totally, totally. And then to build a business underneath it. Yeah, what was that journey for? Like? Well, if you're going to go into schools, you, as a teacher, if someone said, I want to come and speak to your kids, I would – you want to know everything is yeah. 100% legit and safe mm-hmm. and the kids are, are going to, um, first of all, enjoy it and get yeah. something out of it because an hour up on stage, if it's an hour with someone they're bored with, it's going to be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, what's this person's background? Are they going to say anything that could potentially? So so it is hard to get into school, so absolutely. But once you're in, they're very sticky relationships So mm-hmm. as, you're, as you're now finding out. So I, what happened? A guy said to me... Um, I played cricket for a long time at a club, Melbourne University Cricket Club. And a guy who used to play at the club um, approached me and said, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to go and speak to corporates. Um, I'd love your help doing that. And I said, oh, I got, I got no idea about that. He said, maybe you could do some school stuff being a teacher. And I thought about my my story. I was like, well, maybe it might be nice to share that story. And it didn't quite work out with him. He's a terrific guy, but we just it just didn't quite work out. And so I thought, oh, I'm, I'm, I've, I've left teaching to do this thing. It hasn't worked out. Um, I will. I, I called my old school where I went to school, and I said I'd love to come and do a talk to the year. I can't remember what it was, and they're like, "Yeah, no, it's cool." Former student to come back into the school, yeah. and I, I told, I told my story of my trip to India, and I remember the kids. The thing I, I most enjoyed was how much they laughed. Like I love telling funny stories yeah. as part of uh, to engage them, and I got. A, I was the biggest high from it. You know, it's like when you yeah. run a good student session; that's the best feeling in the world. And I left there just like, oh. I want to do this forever. I, I just love that so much. And so I called the school that I used to teach at and I asked um, the principal there. She went, yeah, of course, yeah, come and do that. Did a presentation for primary kids and, oh, my gosh, again, same thing. The kids are laughing and I thought, I, th- I think I've got a bit out of this. I didn't talk about gratitude, empathy, mindfulness at that point. I just told stories about my trip and it was implied that there was a bit of stuff around. They were really grateful, those people. Mm. And I didn't. I hadn't quite worked out what it was at this point at all. I just told funny stories and then yeah. some meaningful stories. And the message, underlying message, was gratitude. And it went so well. And I thought, this is me. I, and I was like, I'm gonna. This is my new job. I'm gonna go and do talks. So I started calling other schools. And and I said, Oh yes, I do this talk. And I said, kids, What's it about? The kids love it. Yeah, yeah, like- the, I, yeah. That's what I said. Oh, the kids love it. Trust me. And this principal goes, Okay. Uh, what, what's what's the message? And I said, Uh. It's so like it's – and being a teacher, I knew the key word at that point, the buzzword was resilience. So I said, it's resilience. And I went, oh, right, so what are you teaching them? And I went, I, well, it's just some stories that they like. 
<laughs> and I remember the principal goes, so, so where have you done this before? And I said, oh, at this school, at Cary and at Finton. And he said, oh, so where you taught and where you went to school? And I said, yep. And he said, anyone else? And I said, uh, no, no. And he goes, okay, maybe come back to me in a year when you... And then I had, I don't know, probably I started calling the schools and about 10 schools said, sorry, who, who are you? What do you, what do you, no. And it was, and I was getting no after no after no. And I thought, oh, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. So, but then eventually a contact from my school called another school and said, it's actually quite good. So I slowly got a few speaking gigs, but it was, I mean, I was still doing emergency teaching so I could pay the bills. There were so many times where I had no money at all. In fact, there's a story in the book where I was sitting in a cafe one morning and I didn't have phone reception in my apartment because I was downstairs and there was no phone reception. And as an emergency teacher, you have to have your phone on from 5.30 in the morning to wait for calls for this school needs you. Mm. And with the agency I was with, it was either I was either a PE teacher, a primary teacher in a state school or a primary school, t- t- school teacher in a private school. That's three different outfits. So if you're a PE teacher, you're wearing PE clothes, easily my favourite. If you're at a private school, you're wearing a suit. If you're at a state school, you're wearing like a collared shirt and slacks. Mm. So at 5.30 in the morning, I'd get up, I'd put all three sets of clothes in the backseat of the car and I'd go and sit in a cafe and I'd just wait for my phone to ring. And this one particular morning, my phone didn't ring and I sat there till 9.30. And it was one of the lowest points of just, I can't even get work as an emergency teacher and like this thing I'm trying to do is not working and I was mm-hmm. so flat. And then I went to pay for my coffee and I had no, my bank account, I had nothing and I couldn't pay for it. And my housemate literally had to come back and pay for me. And I just had this moment of, what are you doing? Like this is you're 29 years old. No, I was 30 by this time. I was 30 years old. All my mates are married, kids, really great jobs, and I'm I can't pay for a coffee, and I actually don't have a job. Um, and I, I was I'd stopped going to visit mum and dad, who are like my favourite people in the world, because I was just ashamed of where I was at, and I was like so embarrassed. And no one, I didn't know anyone else who was who had who had nothing going in their life at mm. age 30. In my head, by 30, everything's sorted. Yeah, it felt like a failure. Oh, the biggest failure. I was so embarrassed. Um, oh, and then I and then I remember after I paid for the coffee, I looked at my phone. I'd had it switched on airplane mode. <laughs> That's why no one had called. <laughs> so I was like this: like, not only can you not get a job, it's because you're an idiot. That's why you can't even turn your phone on. To, so I remember that as a as a as a really low point. But very slowly, schools. I, I knew the talk was good. What I didn't know was. I should have offered it for free back then. Mm. I should have just said, I'll do it for free. That, that it's, it's not free of charge. But for me, it was like, no, it's a, I'm trying to, I need to get paid to do this. Yeah. What I didn't realize was it's a good talk. It wasn't great. It was good at that time and yeah. kids enjoyed it. If I'd done it for free, the best business development is word of mouth exactly. by far. By far. It is, we don't do much marketing and advertising. We do hardly any because I, I truly believe the best business development is when you get people yeah yeah that's it so i should have done it for free but i kept persisting with this and that's why it probably took me way too long to to get it to where anyway three years in i was at a point where i could just pay the bills but in my head i'm like i don't what is this like i go and do talks and i'm doing maybe i don't know 20 a year maybe and um my housemates have have helped me with my rent and i'm now 31, I don't know if this is going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. So I was sitting outside of school and I'd, in my head, I'd pretty much called it that this is just not going to work. Uh, I'd give myself, someone had, I'd read somewhere that it takes a business three years to, you know, you've got to give it three years. And I'd hung in there for three years because I read it somewhere in a magazine. Like I was, I don't know who the person was who wrote it. I have yeah. no idea. It's still an apprentice. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So um, I was sitting outside of school 
and I, I was about to go in to teach for the day and I got a phone call from someone saying, I don't, even, I don't really know who you are. I'm running a principal conference here. We've got um, 50 schools here, 50 principals here. The keynote speaker hasn't turned up. They got the date wrong. Can you be here in an hour to speak? And I said, oh, I can get her an hour and a half. And I said, yeah, that'll do because it was away in the country. And I went into the school and I said, I'm so sorry, I can't teach today. And they're like, yeah, you're here. What do you mean? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> You've just turned up. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, and that, the lady was so angry and she said you are not only will you not teach here again i'll be telling everyone like i'll be telling your agency you did this and i remember driving to this place going well this really is make or break now because mm. i will not get it any yeah, yeah. um and i went there with this and and a big part of my background is sport i've had sport my entire life mainly cricket and i had this thing in my head of like this is like my grand final like this is make or break for me mm. this has to go well and i remember getting up there and i I didn't get nervous. I just went, this is going to, this has to be the best one I've ever done. And there's 50 principals. I remember a lot of them were on their so busy principals. A lot of them were on their laptops or iPads or phones when I started. And I remember just thinking, get them, like, you've got to get them now. Like, you, and I, I don't know what I said. I can't remember, but yeah. it was meant to be an hour. I was meant to speak for an hour. And after an hour, I said, I got more. Do you want me to go for long? I went for two hours. They said, wow. kept going, kept going. And it just went, it was one of those moments where it was, it was like, I just, it just went so well. And I remember during the talk, people were getting their phones out. And I thought, I think they're taking notes. This is good. The whole When I got off the stage, I checked my phone and I had emails from like seven or eight of them saying, quick, please book you. Like, I, this is, please, I want to be the first one to book you for my school. And and I, and I we ended up booking 40. I, I ended up booking 48 out of those 50 principals wow. for the next year. That was it. And, and, and it was, but then again, it was still, this is still only three years in. It's now 12 years in. Mm. And then they were going, so what is it? What do you... And I remember going, oh, um, so what this you is... You didn't have like a name for your talk. Like, I didn't have a name. I didn't have a name for the You were just Hugh Van Kahn, to have a chat about mental health. I think I just called it the Resilience Project just okay. then. Around that time, I'd called it the Resilience Project. Sick. And and um, and I said, I teach resilience. Like, great. Come come to the school. We loved the presentation. And I, and I remember that night... Um, no, I, start, I actually stayed the night at the conference, which I shouldn't have done, but it was I said, oh, you should stay and network. It was just the biggest piss-up of all time. I couldn't believe what I was saying from a group of principals, but that's another yeah. story. Um, but the next night I got back home and I was, remember going, hmm, I think I need a calendar. <laughs> and I remember going, right, I'm, this is, I've made it. I'm going to be professional here. And I printed out a like – I, I wish I had a photo. I, I printed out a – I went and bought a printer from Officeworks, put it on my little desk in my bedroom, and I printed out this like spreadsheet of the school's and how much I was going to charge them and when I was going to invoice them and what the program actually... I didn't even know what the program was. I was like, okay, so it's actually... I remember going, I know what I'll do. I'll do a teacher presentation and a parent presentation and a student one because that's mm. from my experience of schools, you've got to get everyone speaking the same language to have a maximum impact. So that's yeah. the ideal thing. And I remember saying to this... I remember saying a good businessman would probably say, that's what it is. If you want it, that's what the program is. You've got to do that. But some schools would go, we don't want that. And I'd go, that's fine. We'll just do the student one. That's fine. But... Um, and then I was ticking them off and it was all handwritten on a, on a and that was that got me through when I was 32, 33 years old that was a couple of years and then it just exploded and I had no I remember employing someone for the first time to help with the bookings um, and I remember I chose her because I really liked her as a person but she had no experience with admin <laughs> and she won't mind me saying this but she wasn't a natural at it but mm. wonderful person um, and we made heaps of mistakes. So so many awful mistakes. We had so much fun failing together, though. Like no, I didn't enjoy nah, it. You no, didn't I enjoy didn't. It? it was too stressful. I was like, oh, I, 
I, I, I wish I looked back and if I knew where I was going to go, I would have enjoyed it more. But yeah, I remember yeah. thinking, I, I remember thinking this could this could yeah. be going like this. Mm-hmm. I could stuff up once. And one of the stories I didn't tell you, which I forgot, was in the days when no one was booking me, a school called Halebury College called me. It's the biggest school in Victoria. Yeah. I've- my, I've got like an intern, Alex. She listen to this. She's a legend. She's trying to get me to speak in there. I, they actually, Great. and one of my good friends, Jack, who's like a filmer that used to live with me, moved up from Melbourne, and he went there as well. And just randomly, because he was friends with the school and took some photos for their rowing team, they asked me to like send them just a video of like a five minute thing. And I didn't even realize at the time this is me like OG, like two years ago when I'm like just sort of starting. And I sent like a five minute video and I guess it got showed to the whole school on a big screen at the oh, assembly. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, but anyway, so I'm trying to get in there to like chat, but I'm sure they're probably, I don't even know, but it kept going. So no, no, no. It's well, it's, it's a, it's an amazing school four campuses. And this guy called me, his name is, I'll never forget his name, Nick Frayne, uh, now at a different school. And he said, I want you to speak to all my year 12s. I'll get, I'm going to bust them four campuses. I'll bust them together. And they're all going to listen to you speak. And I remember thinking, well, this is a huge opportunity. Mm-hmm. This is when I had nothing going on. This is before the yeah. principal conference. And I put a lot of work into the presentation and I, this is really big, this is huge. And I remember sitting there the day before the presentation, I'm just in my bedroom at home. I was about, I'm about an hour away from where the presentation was the next day. And my phone rang and it was this guy, Nick. I said, hey, mate, how are you going? And he goes, where are you? I said, what? And he said, where are you? And I said, I'm in my bedroom, how come? And he said, no, seriously, where are you? And I could hear noise in the background, like kids, and my heart sunk. And I was like, oh my God. I said, um, I, I am, I'm, I'm not joking. So I'm like, are you, did you think it was today? He said, Th- think it was today. It is today. I've, bu- I've got four kids. I've bus four schools here. There's 1,200 kids sitting here in an auditorium waiting for you. How, can you get here in 15 minutes? I said, I'm an hour away. And he goes, that's oh, fine. I've now got to work out what to do with 1,500 kids. Thanks very much, mate. And he hung up. Oh. And my heart sunk. It was the worst feeling in the world. You that, can imagine. That scares how, me so yeah. much. Like, Mike, I'm at the point where like I'm starting to book quite a few in, and yeah. my calendar's like, just working on my Apple calendar still and I'm just like waiting for the day where that happens but I haven't had that yet but oh my god you've probably got better admin skills than me I mean it gives me anxiety here I was awful it was awful and I I called him a few days later just to apologise and and he was really nice he said that's fine mate that's okay I didn't go and I didn't book it I mean I've done a lot of stuff with Halebury since like in the last five years or whatever I think in fact I think they might be one of our partnership schools still but it was I mean that was just oh I look back on that and, and um, like a lot of people say, oh, but you learned from your mistakes. Have you missed any other ones? Have you ever like, Oh, like, we've, like, there's heaps of stories wrong, of like, yeah. yeah, there's heaps of stories of, you know, I remember going to school once where I spoke to the kids. It was, you know, it was, it was the toughest, it's the toughest audience. For me, year eight boys oh, are the, mm. the toughest audience and it was at a, um, it was at a state school in Melbourne and it's notoriously quite a rough school and they got me to speak to the year eights um, three times and so it was three one-hour sessions and the year after they said oh we'll do it again with the year eights that'd be great but someone had booked in the year nines so it was the same group and I turned up there had the presentation I did the year before ready to go and they all walked in this kid goes oh you're the you're the disc guy you're the guy the, the kid from India welcome back you're a legend and I went oh hang on whoa, whoa. so how, how do you know me and I went, you spoke last year and I went oh my gosh and then I said to the guy who organized I said mate I've already spoken to these kids and he goes oh, you have to come up with something new then. I went, no, I did three hours last year for those kids. I was coming up with new material last year and to be honest, the last session wasn't the best. And he goes, well, mate, you've got them for an hour. And so I'm scrambling as they're sitting down to try and I was like, what, what, what can oh, I show them? What yes. have I got here? And then the screen conked out and the screen wasn't working. I'm very reliant on, on images yeah, and videos. Same. And I had, so I had them for an hour and I'd already spoken to them for three hours. Oh. And it's like year eight boys. 
and hard. it was yeah, it was hard. And I, I can't. I just, I just remember sweating so much and getting off stage. My back was shoulders were so tense because I was so stressed. But stuff like that happens all the time. Screens mm. don't work. The projector. The, yeah. the, we, we had our school in one of our schools in far north Queensland. It was three schools bust together in a shelter, like one of those open air basketball courts up in a high school in Cairns, I think it was. Um, and nothing worked. The microphone didn't work. Oh. And I was yelling, like I was yelling at them as loud as I could. And it was just so, stuff like that happens all the time. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that was so, I'm getting a bit lost in the, in the order of things, but it was, that was, yeah, it just, it just, I started bringing on people slowly. And, and for me, everything changed when I brought on a guy. Well, there's two big points with hiring. I brought on another presenter who, who's much better than I am at presenting to kids, much better. He's just phenomenal. Martin well, Heppel. podcast the yeah. other day is yeah. phenomenal. You and the him. Perfect podcast. Yeah. yeah, phenomenal. You and him would, you guys should definitely meet. Yeah. Um, with Harry Garside, the three of you should meet. You, Harry, and, and <laughs> it would, yeah, he's awesome. Um, and I, bringing him on then all of a sudden we could double the schools we could get to and i was like this is unbelievable mm. and then i thought i need to find another one then we can triple but it's not as easy as that like yeah. you've got to find the right and i still haven't found someone we kind of moved away from that model now which we're skipping a long way in the journey now but then i brought on a guy called ben waterman who's our ceo he does have a good business brain and mm. we brought him on just uh, at the right time because if covid happened and we didn't have Ben. We were, I don't. I don't quite think we would have survived. Adapted as quickly as. You well, know. no, he'd already made sure that we were incredible. I mean, we had by the time COVID happened, we had twenty staff. Yeah, so yeah. that's a pretty vulnerable position to be in when mm. COVID happens because you look after twenty people and their families. Yeah. Probably be able to keep paying their salary, but by then it was a curriculum, and it was videos. So kids, schools, when they see us now. We had some great help from the other half of Hamish and Andy's crew who turned my talks into like a TV show and Mars talks into a TV show. School. So schools now get the videos of us. So they didn't need us to go and do the talk. Mm. So that's – that's but that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Ben. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ben looked at our mm. business and he said, mate, it's if you go down or Martin goes down, we're stuffed. Yeah. And I remember saying, well, we won't go down. Like this is what we do. We love this. And he said, yeah, but you don't know that. And I said, we won't. But sure enough, because of COVID, we went down. The two yeah. of us couldn't present and go to schools. But luckily we're at a point where – and journal sales and, and all the other stuff that we do now, I, th- I think we were able we're to get through it. Enough. Yeah. yeah, that's it. We, we, we weren't diverse at all. But, but now we are. So I've kind of skipped a long way. No, no, that's because that's something I, that I wanted to talk to you about because that's something I'm – I feel like I'm getting close to that stage of having to potentially hire someone to scale and it's scary and it's like yep. trying to let go of oh. what – let go, we'll talk about that in a second yeah. – of let go of like what you've created and realise that there's a lot of other ways to communicate the message and other people can share that message. What about um, when the first time Martin shows up somewhere and they expect the great Hugh Van Kylenberg? Oh, it was, awful. It was an awful – yeah. And I didn't handle it well. This is where I was uh, i was not very good at having difficult conversations, which is something I've learned yeah. as like a business it. owner. You have to have them all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's just part of yeah. – I mean you don't necessarily have to, but in the first few years you do. Like yeah. Ben has the difficult conversations now. I don't do that anymore. I don't have to do that. But in the early days, I, I, I avoided them and it was a real – if the talks weren't as good as they were, Martin's or mine, then we wouldn't have survived because I remember I remember the school. It was a school that been with us for like – uh, no, I won't say the school. That's not fair to them. But it was a school that had been with us for like a year and a half and we had, I had a great relationship with them and, I, and they loved having me in to speak to – I went and spoke to every year level. And looking back on it, it was t- early years. I was doing – and the teacher. So I was doing like eight talks a year for just that school and they had me for like – it was only two years at this point. Mm. 
and then they said, we want you to come and speak to our year 12s on their first day of year 12 at this, we've got a camp for them. And I said, yeah, the resilience project, yeah, definitely. It'll be one of us will be out. I was very vague in the email thing saying, yep, yeah, there'll be someone. Up, yeah. But they didn't know I'd brought on a new person. So they didn't look through the, the details of like someone yeah. will be coming to speak. They just assumed it was me. And then Martin turned up and they, they basically said, who are you? Where's Hugh? And, and he said, he's not here. And I didn't go. I didn't go along because I thought if I go, they'll say, well, you're here, just do it. Yeah. And so I actually went to the venue it was at Melbourne University, which is funny because that's where I was playing cricket, but it was at one of the colleges there, their camp. And I went to the Oval, which backs onto that college, and I just went for a run because I, I don't know why I just wanted to be wanted near to be it. be around it, yeah. But I, I, Martin doesn't even know that I was there. I just And I remember that whole hour just going, I could see the, the venue where he was speaking in, and I was so stressed because I – Deep down, I was like, I've not communed. They don't. Yeah. I've done hindsight. Do you wish you were more transparent? I wish I'd said to them, I wish I'd told them the story and said, I can't keep up the demand. Mm. I'm doing. He's honest about it, yeah. That year, I'd done, I think we were, I'd done 560 talks for the year. And I remember, I just, I wish I'd said, I can't keep doing this. I found a guy. He's fantastic. I think he'd be great for the year 12s. I've so that's, that's spoken the to all the kids, like, yeah, yeah this is the new Exactly. Angle. Totally. Yeah. He's a beautiful person. The kids will love him. It's his first. Do you mind giving him the chance? Yeah. I don't think they would have said no. I really don't. I think mm. they would have said, okay, yep. But instead, this other guy turns up mm. and he does this present. He's totally the opposite of me as a presenter. And so because I hadn't told them they were really unhappy with it, I got a really full-on email the next day. And I remember going, oh, that's ridiculous. That's so unfair. It was quite personal about him, just yeah. saying they didn't like him, they didn't like his presentation. It was, it's very, and it was, he's pretty full on and, but it's a beautiful presentation. Yeah. It's very raw, but anyway, they didn't like it. And that, but I think what they more didn't like was my lack of, it wasn't you. Transparent. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then we had, Martin and I are both going off the bookings email because we were both still doing admin stuff. So he kept seeing his emails from people going, we don't want Martin. We want oh. you. So he's seeing that all the time, but we didn't have that. I still didn't want to have that conversation with him. So I just sort of ignored that. Mm. And I didn't even say to him, like, I don't know why I didn't just sit down with him and say, because it was diff- I know why, it was a difficult conversation. Yeah. I should have sat down and said, hey, so I'd have moments where I'd go, right, I'm going to call him and say, this. I was just going to say, man, I've been doing this for, for like three years now, four years now, and people are used to me. It's very safe. That's why they want me. It's nothing to do with you. Mm. But instead, I let him just read those emails and get hurt by them. And he just got hurt and hurt and hurt. And then in the end, we'd sort of joke about it. But, it t- but there was no, we didn't have a proper conversation mm. because I just wasn't good at having those difficult yeah. conversations. And, and they're really hard to have, but to just there's a story behind why you do the things you do and people understand the stories. I think too often with difficult conversations, back then I was thinking, I have to call them and say, it won't be me, it'll be Martin. Someone, I'll bring you someone else on. Rather than giving the background, the story, that's a just the honest story behind it. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to rip them off. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to rip them off. I'm not trying to shortchange them. But yeah, so that was a really, really difficult stage for us and we had heaps of issues with it. I remember going to school in Sydney well, we don't have a great, we don't have a huge presence in Sydney. Um, and I remember I went up with him and, and we just shared the, I did one, then he did the next one. The principal called me at lunchtime and said, I, I, we thought you were doing all of them. And I, I remember saying, no, but, but like, he's, do you think he's doing a good job? She goes, yeah, he's amazing, but we thought it was you. And I remember thinking, that's ridiculous. He's doing a good job. Why are you disappointed when he's do, clearly doing yeah. such a good, but it's because I didn't say it. I wasn't honest about it and I didn't tell them. Yeah. So yeah, that was a really difficult one. And this is the, when you, Everyone always used to say to me, you need to let go of control and, and it's going to look a bit different when you bring someone else in. And and I, I, I originally I was I struggled with that because Martin's so different to me. Mm. And I'd, I'd know he's speaking to school. I'm like, but 
the resilience project is my thing yet all of a sudden it looks very different mm. and it was a hard thing to let go of yeah and now even you know we've got a kinder program for which i haven't even seen it like i haven't i haven't touched it so there's like 300 kinders doing this program which i haven't even looked at yeah. i mean i've looked over it yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't got a team yeah the Thanks team's doing you. it for me and even that's the thing of like gosh it's my it's the resilience project is not really me anymore like i'm, yeah. I'm a small part of it now so which yeah. is a i'm still i'm totally fine now with that yeah. i'm still i'm still um I'm at a point now where I just go, yeah, cool. It's it's if you want to scale, if you want to get bigger, yeah. it's going to look less like you, basically. Yeah. That's great advice for me, and I think anyone out there listening, great advice for any growth of a business that sometimes you do need to let go. I'm conscious of your time, but I want to talk to you about two last quick yeah, things: yeah. your books, the Resilience Project, one of the most incredible books for anyone who hasn't read it. It's not even you should go get it; it's you must go get it. It's incredible. I'll leave it all in the show notes, but. When did it come about to go, you know what, I want to write a book because it's something that I'm like, hey, I want to kind of maybe yep. do that. And it's like, where? how do you start? I did, well, I didn't want to. I never planned to. No. It was never a thing. To, I'm so unbelievably happy that I did. It's mm. one of the best things I've ever done. In fact, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. But so Penguin, uh, a lady called Sophie Ambrose, who's my publisher, um, she approached us or the Resilience Project and said, we want you to write a book. And then Ben and I, sat with her and said what's the how does it work and she said it'll take up this much time and ben said how much do you think we'll make from it and he said as my job as a ceo mm-hmm. i need to understand the commercial reality of it and she said oh, i think we can expect probably to we could, we'll, I, she said, I think we'll probably sell about ten thousand copies which means it will probably sell, it'll probably mean we'll make about this much and ben said well i could get him to go and do three talks it'll take three hours and then we could so there's mm-hmm. probably no point for us and she said, I think you'll reach a much wider audience though. And it's a, and we just kept looking and going, I don't have the time. I was so yeah. fully booked out, I don't have the time. And, and then they came back to us again six months later and said, um, and proposed a slightly different look at it. That Anyway, and then we started to think, well, I, I said, I, do you know what? I wouldn't mind doing something a bit different. Maybe, I do love writing. Maybe, mm. maybe I could do this. And I can't remember the conversation we had that got it across the line. But yeah, we decided to do it. And um, it was amazing. Like it was an incredible process. And, um, I'm so happy I did it because I think it's it's reached so many people that mm. so many people that that um, yeah I can't but I must still get so many messages every day from people who are saying oh this part of the book really helped me and yeah. there are parts that I don't even remember writing because for me it wasn't a big part of my journey but it was in there and then it's reached them and um, it's an exhausting thing to do like it is full on yeah. especially the, when when you finish it and then then they go right it's done then you read it with this whole new set of fresh eyes like oh no 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 no! i can't have people reading that and no, i can't have that and you yeah. you just you know in the last book i'm writing about letting go of perfection and yet the irony is you're looking over every single word going there's a better word for that or that paragraph <laughs> should be there on that sentence needs to be shorter or that mm. so yeah it's a um it's a full-on process but i'm so unbelievably happy that i did it yeah it's uh it's such a great book and you said that the first one was a lot easier to write than your second one because yeah it was just telling the story that you told a hundred times but elaborating a bit more on it and then the second one was through COVID and a bit harder, yeah? Yeah, well, the second one, it's funny. The second one I don't think has been – I haven't paid a huge amount of attention to sales for the second one just because I I don't want to be affected by – my 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 deep down feeling was it's not going to sell anywhere near as well. It won't be as popular, but I'm so much more proud of the second book because the first book, some of the stuff I was writing about, writing about in the first book happened to me 10 years ago. Like it was the story mm. of – um. And my sister's Indian daughter, which is like twenty years ago, or it was it was 
the starting the business, which was twelve years before that. So it was kind of or ten years before it then. So it wasn't. I was looking back on it, and but the second book was stuff happening in my life at that time. Mm. My struggles during lockdown. More vulnerable. Yeah, like seeing a psychologist and sharing with the whole world things that happened in my the things I discovered in my psych session. All my like shame, yeah. and I wrote about that. I remember thinking. That was much harder. My daughter wasn't sleeping. She was a terrible sleeper. And so we were, I was getting no sleep. And in COVID, I'd wait till everyone was asleep. And then I'd, I was, this luckily was in 5Ks of my house. So I'd drive here. And it's like, it's a bit nicer now, but we hadn't done the renovations. It was dark and cold. And, and I'm writing about really full on stuff. And I remember submitting it. And my publisher said, this is much better than your first book. And I said, I agree. I said, I don't think it'll be as popular. She said, we, she said maybe not. And I made a decision to not look at sales and not look at, not worry about the reviews. I haven't read any reviews. I haven't read anything about it. Um, I accidentally read a review the other day when I, I typed in, I was looking up a book on stoicism and it, and you know when it says books you might also like. Yeah. So I typed in and my book came up and the reviews are right underneath it. And the review I wrote was um, self-indulgent pile of shit. <laughs> That's what it said. And I was like, I that I'm not person must be hurting. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know what it was, but I, I remember thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not reading the reviews. But then I was like, I, I need to see a good one. Just so I quickly scroll for a little bit. I was like, oh, that's a nice one. So I left it there. Um, but I don't know how the second book's really gone. I don't think, I mean, I know because I get real, I still get paid. Yeah. So I know that the paychecks have been a little bit <laughs> yeah. smaller. So I still have an idea, but I don't know the exact numbers because in my head, I'm so much more proud of the second book. Yeah. I love them both, but I'm so proud of the second one because it was hard. It was yeah, really hard. The second one was nice. I listened. To, I'm normally not an audiobook person, but I listened to it on like a drive. Just it's perfect. It was like a five hour listen, so it was perfect. On a drive for the Goldie down, it was just like bang, and that's kind of how we connected. Yeah, I think that might have been the first time. Not the I reckon I would have been on your radar maybe, but when I tagged you because I list, I spoke about it in one of my podcasts about letting go. Yeah, and tagged you because I just listened to it and I was like. Go. Oh, I've been following you for ages. I, as soon as I saw the, I, I can't remember what it was. I think I saw a post about, about gratitude. I was like, oh, unreal. And I think I yeah. followed you from there. And then I, that's where I remember seeing photos of you surfing. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, this is like, this is really good that someone like this is doing this work. But then um, also I tried five years ago, I was like, I'm going to learn to surf. And so I had a real crack at it for two years. And then we had babies and it was just impossible to, to do both. But well, we're yeah. going to get a surf and that was kind of the deal when we're like, yeah. we'll do the podcast and we'll get a surf. But yeah. unfortunately, I haven't got the surf this trip down to Melbourne, but we will. But man, we could talk for hours. I feel like we're kind of just scratching the surface of your yeah. story. But I, I'd, I'd love to chat again because there's a lot of stuff I'd love to talk about yeah. to people who, who want to we'll do their own thing. Maybe we'll do like my first ever Joe Rogan style and actually just have a good time. We'll sit down comfortable and yeah, yeah. To have like a good like couple hour chat because I feel like we've got so many similarities and can just talk stories because we can relate on yeah. a level that not many people can. Like even coming yeah. into your office before a few of your girls who work here who present as well, it was like I was saying, it's so refreshing because it's something that not many people can relate to getting totally. up and speaking totally. in front of people. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. Like we... we you, no one will and I think this is a I guess I'm giving this to you as a message but also to anyone who wants to start their own thing but especially if it, it's like something I didn't do I was terrible at is, is um, one of my main bits of advice is just protect your energy like you have this energy that when you're on stage that it takes everything out of you and I just because you go through a stage where you're like desperate to get a booking and you're past that like you've got bookings coming in but you get in this habit of saying yes to everyone and yes mm-hmm. to everything Um but I didn't protect my energy and the amount of times I've burnt out and then yeah. I've let people down or let groups down because I've just, I'm completely cooked. People can see it and they go, well, I haven't, I thought people would respect it and go, oh, he's turned up here even though he's been to three schools already today. What a legend. Yeah. I think schools are like, we're getting 
a guy who's exhausted after is, yeah, yeah, this is like not the best. So I think, and for your own sanity, you got to protect your energy. And yeah. I think that goes for anyone who's, you're, you're like your own boss. So you can yeah. take a day here where you go surfing for the day or or, or you, whatever you want to do. Mm. It, protect your energy is a really big one, but we can go into it. I'd love to have another chat. Yeah, yeah we'll definitely catch up again soon because yeah, there's so much to unpack and we'll we'll continue the conversation another time. But the last question I do finish with everyone because we're just about to hit an hour and I know you've got a lot on and you've come out of maternity leave to come and do this with me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But the last question I do finish Good Humans podcast with is what does being a good human mean to Hugh Van Kylenberg? Oh, um, being a good human. I think you can edit out this pause if you want. No, this is this is the best thing. I've asked fifty eight people, and everyone's answer is different, and everyone gets stuck on it, and that's uh, why it's beautiful because we all have a different definition, and it changes too. So I think yeah, right I think a lot answer. of I think a lot of people would probably, and I think my the first answer I was going to go to. Is just to be is to be a good like good, be a good person. Human. Yeah, be a good human. Like it's just like be nice to other people, be kind yeah. to people. And I think, but I'm trying to think of something else because I'm guessing a lot of people will probably go to that, which yeah. is a good, which I, I think is great. Like is being Absolutely. kind. Um, I'm learning now with my kids, and we're going through a journey with our kids. But I think not judging. I think I think being a good human is not being judgmental, and mm. it's being understanding that like everyone's got a story. Like everyone has a story, and the, like. Everyone, I, the more and more I, I stop and chat and listen to people, people have, there's a reason people are the way they are. Like mm. people are the way they are for a reason. There's a there's something's happened in their life, and empathy. we yeah yeah empathy. <laughs> yeah, empathy there you go. So I'm, I'm trying to avoid some of what other people have said. So there's something different here for people. But um, I think if I could distill it into like a, a catchy catchy like gimmicky type of saying, yeah. it's maybe just. Maybe listen more than you talk. I don't know. Yeah. Like just, just. Uh, I love you say that. It's a big thing I say when I talk about empathy. Is don't wait to talk. Listen. Yeah, yeah. There's just I don't know. I I um, <coughs> even people you don't like. There, there's reasons that they're like that, and when you find out what the reason is, mm. you get them more. Yeah, you grow uh, from it. Yeah, and I've always known that, but now having kids and one of one of our kids is just struggling with a bit of stuff in the world at the moment. I'm seeing the world through his eyes and the way people would be judging him. And I, I, it's taken me to a whole new level of empathy, mm. I think, which I didn't really have before. Sometimes someone's a dickhead too. And you're like, oh, that guy's a dickhead. But I don't have that anymore, that quick to, to – I, I just think, well, there's, there's, I'm sure there's, there's a reason, reason why, and, I hope yeah. he's, and I hope he's all right. Yeah. You know, people cut you off in traffic and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's the worst, and you get angry about it. Like they could be on the way to a job interview. Yeah, and if they are, oh my god, get in front of me quickly! Like don't Me be late too. for a job That's interview, mate. I think. Yeah. yeah. So, or the other day I was at getting a car serviced, and the receptionist was like, was really quite rude. And my first thing was like to just get angry about it. But then, I I just wondered, you know, is she potentially neurodiverse i don't know maybe she, this is great that she's doing this job like maybe she's autistic maybe she's i don't know like and how wonderful she's doing this job and i i didn't i didn't judge her i was about to but i didn't judge her and i i was really patient and then she kept putting her hand up going i'll get you when i'm ready like a very stern and very abrupt kind of like she kept going instead of going i'm so sorry i've got but it was very much she goes i'll get to you when i'm ready and then I went and stood near her just to, as in like I was in a bit of a rush. Yeah. And she goes, I'm not ready yet. And my first thing was like, that's a very rude way of saying it. 
but I, I look back and I realized I looked back. She was definitely on the spectrum because I, then her boss came out. I, I tried to pay, and, the, and it wasn't my card, like the coffee incident. It was um, their machine wasn't working, yeah. and her boss said, "Just get him to wait around." And she said, um, "No, that's not fair to him." Um, and then he said, "He can wait." And then she said, "No, that is not fair to him. He's been very patient. I will call him mm. later in the day, and I'll get him to pay over the phone." Which to me seemed like very much a like a spect- on the spectrum type. Like the people on the spectrum, they're very just and fair. Yeah, Everything's yeah. going to be fair. And I realized, I was like, well, good on you. Like you're doing this job. I think it's so great. And, I'm, and if I was your parents, I'd be so unbelievably proud of you for doing mm. this. Rather um, than jumping to conclusions. Yeah, totally. And judging and trying to be. Totally. Yeah, totally. Someone. Totally. And so I, I, um, I think I'm giving you such a – this is probably the longest answer you've ever that had to this great. question. <laughs> we'll keep going. <laughs> but I think, I think have a, a more – relaxed we're very quick to judge yeah. and I, I think we just got to relax a bit let's just relax a bit and just let uh, just be more understanding of <laughs> empathy i could but, have said be more empathetic but, yeah, it's, it's, but it's like saying that girl might have even if she wasn't on the spectrum she might have her whole life had a parent that's always been like that to her and that's just yes like you don't know anyone's story before they get to the present moment they're in that you're meeting them in so like yeah, just be empathetic because that's what we t- both talk about so much. It's yeah. like you never know someone's journey, and you never know the impact that you can have just by being patient with them. Totally, totally. And so I think that's yeah. I mean, I, I we, we should definitely if you're happy, I'd love to do a follow up chat yeah. because there's a lot more to unpack. I think yeah. with, with um, touch the top of the iceberg. I think. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot, and I, I like I've, I know it's a weird thing to do on your podcast, but I'd love to hear like your story, for example. Like, and I think it'd be really cool to to like unpack that and work through how that's got you. Because something's happened, like not there are so many pro surfers out there who, but I don't know many of them have gone and done what you're doing. So I'm. Well, so I haven't pretty- actually done my story. I'd love to, and I'm probably way overstepping. But what you did with like Dill Buckley on your one, yeah, I'd yeah, love yeah, to awesome. then be able to post that on mine, like how you did, how yeah, you yeah, no. both posted it. That's not overstepping. That's like that's, awesome. that's <laughs> a like, great idea. I don't want to like say like because you guys have got a huge podcast, but I'm like I think it would be great to let you ask me questions because obviously we have so much in common love in to. so many yeah, different yeah. ways. But yeah, maybe we can do that next time. When you're in Melbourne, here. let me know beautiful i don't know because we've i know you guys but i'll be back later in the year no 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 but i'll say you before like because with the way we're done with our podcast we've had to record this whole year but i'm trying to work out it'd be nice to squeeze one in as a bonus or something you let but, me know i'll fly down for it i'd love to come down and have a chat but anyway yeah. mate thanks for jumping on good it's, humans it's so nice to meet you properly yeah it's been great thanks Would so you? much mate see you mate and that's a wrap you've made it all the way to the end of the episode and i'm so grateful for you for that if you learned something new in today's episode Make sure you try and implement it into your life. So often we get great information and we become curious about something, but we don't act on it. So I challenge you, act on the new things you learn in this podcast because I guarantee they're going to make your life better. Another thing that'll make your life better is our Good Human Factory Feel Good School and Workplace Workshops. Over the last two years, I've developed a workshop that has been seen by close to 5,000 students and over 1,000 corporates. I wanted to make mental health cool and challenge the way people think about mental health. In the workshop, I deliver an hour of practical, easy to implement daily habits that'll improve your life. If you want to learn more about the workshop, please reach out to us. In the show notes, you'll see an inquiry form or just send me an email, cooper at thegoodhumanfactory.com and I'll send you an information pack, mention the podcast and I'll give you 10% off as well. Take care of yourself and have a great day. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.